You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. If Toronto wins a Grey Cup, does Cavis Reed get GM of the year? He might. He, he, <laughs> you should get a Argos Grey Cup ring. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Ready, set, put. Holy sh! Travis Curra, Brazilian tie, the two and out CFL podcast. What a division final Sunday. How was your day, Brazilian tie? Oh, it was good. I got to sleep in finally and, you know, have about six or seven pops and get a little bit of reading done. So it was a pretty solid Sunday. I had a. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, we're getting really heavy into the angry elk here early. It was just one of those days. It started great. Uh, got on the road, went to Calgary, hit Nick's Steakhouse and Pizza. You know, the, the riders got off to a great start. And then it all went down the... Sh- <laughs> I, I'm setting an all-time record. I'm sorry. It was just one of those days. Uh, it... That rider loss was just like a punch to the gut, I will admit. And we'll get into the game, obviously. But uh, I thought they were going to win six or seven games this season. Anything, you know, after the season, if it was two extra games, that that was all gravy for me. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. But uh, I had tickets for the West Final in Calgary. Before we go to the West Final... We have about half an hour window here, literally right across the street from McMahon Stadium. Realize that I have locked my keys in my truck. Maybe I should say we. It was sort of a joint effort between my wife and I. I know she likes to blame me. Whose truck is it? And get mad at me for stuff like this. Okay, here's how it goes. (laughs) I have this habit of chucking her the keys so she can, because I don't have power locks, right? We got the, uh, right. we do the old school thing. So I'll get into my side, and if it's like a tight parking lot, usually I open the door for her, but it was a tight parking lot, so I lobbed her the keys, thinking she was going to go on her side. Instinctively, she put them in her purse, because that's how they usually get carried. Well, she didn't want to take her purse to the game, so she gives me the purse to put in the truck. <laughs> and I closed the door. Where are the keys? In her purse? In my truck? Uh, I wouldn't blame her if I was you. I'm not blaming her. <laughs> I would just take the blame and just keep your head down, lay low for the next week or so while she cools down. I have taken a... I, I did take the <laughs> blame. I, I do think it was a joint effort, though. Nope, it- nope. She, she's, uh, she's got nothing to do with it. So anyway, there's a tow truck <laughs> towing somebody. There's a car dealership right next door to Nick's. And I went to, hey, look, man, can you let me into the my truck? My wife's upset. I didn't say that, but she clearly was. She's upset. Just let me into my truck. Taylor's like, call your friends. See if they have AMA. I'm like, no, let's just get this over with. 75 bucks. So I had about a $200 breakfast before the West Final. And then... <laughs> <laughs> so we missed the first 11 minutes of play. Her Edmonton Eskimos are up 14 nothing. We get into McMahon, get to my seat. Oh, my God. Could I have sat next to any dumber people? Oh, my God. Now, 
I, I will say that I don't like to trash fans. A fan is a fan. The CFL needs all the fans they can get. These beautiful people. They, I'm sure they're beautiful on their day jobs, Monday to Friday. I, I don't know what they do on the weekends, but they jump on the bus, come to Calgary, and just become absolute idiots. I, 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 <laughs> when your jersey on the back says drunker, and then your twin sister or whatever says drunk est, I, I know we're in for some fun here. But uh, they were just Sound fighting. like my kind of people. I, yes, but you're, you're not classy, but you're classier. I'm okay. Wait, what? I, I'm okay with people sitting in their seat and chirping the guy five rows down. The guy turns around, chirps back. I love that. That's good stuff. I set a world record for sitting up and down in my seat to let these people buy. But they would examine everybody in the row as they went by. It was absolutely insane. And then they go behind me. They're bumping me. And I'm like, I have had a day. This is. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the commotion comes. The Calgary fans behind us are fighting with drunker and drunk est. The cops show up. And I was, at this point, I am ready to fight. So <laughs> just to get out of this situation and, you know, they're bumping you. I, I probably got a, I don't know, did I say about 65 times? Is that a world record? Well, damn well should be because I feel like it should be. I, I, we will talk about football, I promise you. But <laughs> they're about the row behind us bending over with their asses, like literally basically sitting on our heads fighting fighting with the Stampeder fans, and then the cops left. It was one of those things, you know, in grade three, that person called me fat. I can't I can't let them do that without defending myself. And the cops literally like, there's no law against being an asshole. You can be an <laughs> no, asshole. No, tell me about it. <laughs> so the, the fight goes. They end up leaving at halftime. Thank God. It gets worse. Have you ever sat next to somebody on an airplane and just won't shut up? Uh, yeah, on the way to Grey Cup two years ago. Who, me? No, I didn't even get to sit with you guys. I got sat next to that Stamps fan. Okay, well, it happened to me when I went to WrestleMania in Dallas, Texas. Who is sitting three rows in front of me? And who recognizes me? The same guy. Yes! <laughs> Unreal. I'm sorry. I don't know. Did this you find this best. entertaining? Did you, like, are you basking in my misery? Oh, for sure. I shook my head so much, the usher came up the stairs and asked me if everything was going to be okay. And I just said, you know what? These two rows need to be monitored. <laughs> she wanted to know <laughs> who was to blame. I said, it's going both ways. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But just please continue to watch this situation. Drunker and drunkest, they leave at halftime, and I never see them again. So it ended up being okay after that. But... I guess we should talk about some real football, shouldn't we? Uh, the only question I have is, did you wear your rider's jersey again? I did. Oh, you are a braver man than most. In the huddle on the Two It Out podcast. Before we recap the East and West finals, I guess we should mention this. Kyle Walters of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers ends up making a comment saying that he wishes... Maybe the playoff format in the Canadian Football League should change. Some people defending him. Some people calling him a whiner. I, I do get both sides of the coin, if I'm being honest. But let me run something by you. There has been an idea floating around the Internet. I do like East versus West. 
I'm kind of okay that we have a Toronto and Calgary Grey Cup. The true East versus West stays alive here. But somebody said keep the crossover, but modify it a little bit. What if the second-place team in the West goes to the East and ends up being the first-place team there? So just for argument's sake, Winnipeg and Calgary would have gotten first-round buys. Edmonton and Saskatchewan would have played in the West Semi. and the East Semi, it would have been Toronto and Ottawa. What say you? I actually think that sounds pretty fair. I don't like that at all because... Uh, you're basically eliminating divisions by that point. If you're going to keep divisions, then we got to keep the playoff format the way it is. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, the way the schedule is right now, divisions don't mean a thing, and I don't see the point in not just going to one so-called division. Just everybody because you already play everybody twice as it is. There's two teams that you play three times. So what's the point of divisions? The the travel isn't what it used to be. It's not that big of a deal anymore. Um, and just the top six make it. Like it, you can't reward a team playing or winning second place in one division, putting them in the other division, and giving them a bye. I, I don't think that's fair to the rest of the of the teams in that division. If you're going to keep a division format, I do think that teams like I know Montreal this year is not in there. BC's not in there. Uh, Toronto is in there. I know some people would rather see those teams be stripped of their home games. Like, say, Toronto this year is only 9-9. Nine and nine. Pretty much every playoff team in the West had a better record. Toronto should not have a home game. I do think taking that away hurts those franchises a lot. And I think that this East Final may go a long way to getting fans in the building in Toronto. That was uh, for sure great atmosphere and a great win for that team. So I, I think cities like that, you can't just take home games away from them. Well, not only that, um, you had posted earlier about Halifax with their team or the possibility of wanting a team. If you go to 10 teams, you have to go to one. It's, there's going to be no more divisions. It just doesn't make sense. So why not get a jump on this and just go to a one-division format and everybody just plays everybody twice? Granted, you're going to have to play... <clears throat> two teams three times to keep your 18 games. Owners aren't going to want to give up the gate um, for one of those games. So, I mean, Calgary and Edmonton, would nat- you could naturally make them play twice or three times, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, so forth and so on. Um, right, but, yeah, taking away home dates from teams because of their record, because of the system that you created, that's not fair to anybody. Let's talk about that Halifax team. I think if they come into the league, then the East and West definitely stays the way it is. But right now... It but looks... then what's the point? Well, then it's even. I, I don't see why you would go to one division at that point. But then your, your divisions don't matter because you're playing everybody the same amount of time. Is what I'm saying. That if in every other sport, your division games matter so much more because you play those teams more. So you control your playoff seeding by winning your division games, and if you're going to play everybody the same amount of times, then there's no benefits to having divisions anymore other than you get an East and a West team in to the Grey Cup, which is the only reason I could see them wanting to keep it that way. But to me, me, when Saskatchewan played Winnipeg in the Grey Cup, East and West went out the window. It didn't matter anymore. Like, even though Winnipeg was in the East Division, they're not an Eastern team. 
No, so they're not. It's kind of lost on me, the whole point of divisions now. So the Halifax team, they have said already that if they get this franchise, they would brand it as an Atlantic team. A group of businessmen, uh, yes, with ties to Eastern Canada, has made a presentation to the league's board of governors. This actually happened a few weeks ago in mm-hmm. Toronto. Uh, they've had meetings in Nova Scotia. They've talked to city council. And they've got money. And the the optimist I am says this is going to happen. The timeline seems a bit crazy to me. They do want a conditional franchise before 2018. And they want to be on the field in 2020. Still, the big hurdle here is the stadium. And from what we heard on Friday, uh, comments from the mayor... I think 2020 is a bit crazy here. I can't really see that happening. Well, look, did we not get the announcement that Ottawa was for sure in the franchise in like 2011? It was like 08 or something. Or 08, like yes. And then they finally came in the league. It was 2014. Yeah. Like, it takes a lot to get a football team on the field and have a facility and all the infrastructure you need. Surrounding that, I, I don't see it happening by 2020. There's nothing there right now um, that would be viable, really, for a CFL team to play in um, on a permanent basis. So I think the timeline's a little um, kind of a pipe dream. But I, I don't see why it wouldn't work in Atlantic Canada. The, the, I mean, the AUS has uh, been not the best conference in Canada, but um, it produces good enough football to where people are getting more invested in the game and if you can get a CFL team out there it's only going to help um, not only with those college programs but um, they would almost have uh, something to lead them towards so to speak like with uh, the draft um, they'd have schools there it'd be you, you create a culture and players are going to want to play for quote-unquote, their hometown team if they're from the area. So, I mean, that could only be a positive, too. Well, and you know what? I know a lot of people say Atlantic Canada doesn't have any tradition for the CFL. They're not going to get any support. How can you have any tradition if you've never had a team? They've never even got the chance. You have to start somewhere. Yep, absolutely. Like, Yeah, and Thanksgiving is coming up in the States. Well, before, before they actually had Thanksgiving, there was nothing on that weekend. So it has to start somewhere. It doesn't. You, you don't just get tradition because you want it. it you have to build it, and uh, you give them a chance. And I think it'll thrive in Atlantic Canada. I am encouraged that there actually is a group here. Uh, a couple people, former CEOs and presidents with the Arizona Coyotes, uh, were involved here. That name makes me worry. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, just a little. <laughs> that name makes me worry. I don't think these guys have the bankroll to build the, the stadium 100% on their own. So they would have to get the city and possibly the province to play ball. Or to make that easier, you, you build it on campus. You, you, you got to put it somewhere where there's already a team. Um, and then you can kind of try to piggyback off them, much like we saw in Winnipeg with their new stadium. They had to build on campus to get all that public money. 
Yeah, that makes sense. The Bisons play there. I know Halifax wants to get uh, a, a soccer team into the Canadian Premier League. That's going to happen. Uh, multi, you got to do. You have to m- multiple uses for this damn thing. They're just like they do in Regina. Just like they do uh, pretty much all over the country here. You, and you can't you can't lie to the people about it. Yeah, like if, uh, it's gonna be multi, if it's going to be multi-use, <laughs> it's got to be multi-use from the start. Yeah, absolutely. You can't just lay down concrete and then I'll say, oh, no, we can't put a CFL team down because, you know what, <laughs> we, we, we did this. So, yeah, you, you can't do it. you got to do it real. Uh, but I think if they want to play in 2020, shovels better be in the ground like in March. <laughs> they should have been in the ground two months ago then. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the timeline is quite wild. I am encouraged that there are some serious people stepping up here, and we'll see if it comes comes into play. It's got to be the Atlantic Schooners, right? Oh, I hope so. Like, can you imagine? Like, they already have a really good party at Grey Cup. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> could you could you imagine if let let's say they get a team they call and they would happen to call it the Schooners, and the Schooners make it to a Grey Cup? I don't think we'd survive. <laughs> I'd I be really kissing don't. Cods left and right. <laughs> oh man! I, oh, I do not need. I do not need to get screeched in again. <laughs> I, I've seen numbers tossed around that they want closer to a forty thousand seat stadium. I think that's wild. Uh, do what they did in Ottawa, uh, Hamilton, twenty four thousand seats, twenty five thousand seats. Make it pretty basic bemo field is very basic a great place to watch a game you don't have to go all crazy just have a place to watch football and make it happen i am encouraged i hope these things do happen you did mention uh the atlantic football teams um that utec bowl i'm not (laughs) sure did western cover the spread Oh, it was close. That field goal kind of messed it up a bit, but I think they were able to hold on to it. If you have, I think heard. it was. I think it was set at seventy-seven and a half by the looks of things. Oh man! Yeah, if you haven't heard, Western smashed Acadia, eighty-one to three. Laval beat Calgary, thirty-five twenty-three. So there's your Vanier Cup matchup, Laval and Western. I did see some people talking about Div One and Div Two in U Sports. Maybe that is something that they they need to look at. There's not. Is there enough teams to do that though? You know what? I don't think there. I honestly don't think there is. Because how many times have we seen an AUS team get to the Vanier Cup? Not often, right? So you're basically telling that entire conference that they're Div Two. Yeah, which isn't really fair because now they're not going to get to recruit. But well, they. Be, Let's be honest, the players that go to AUS right now aren't the caliber that go everywhere else. And if you make that a Div 2 program, like some people, like there's been rumor that they want or that people want to see that, um, you're you're not going to make those teams any better. So no. I don't think it's very fair. And then how do you do a playoff structure with only three divisions and con- or conferences? Sorry, it's a, it's a mess. Um Granted, the playoff structure is kind of broken, um, and this year was it exacerbated it because of the situation with St. Mary's. So, I mean, I turned the game on just before half, and it was fifty-seven nothing, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess I don't need to watch this anymore." 
and that sucks for the game because I mean, U Sports it it's hard to get coverage on it in this country and I don't Rogers has enough channels. You'd think they'd be able to do it and all they carry really is the semifinals and the Vanier. Um that game is doesn't look good. You're not gonna make any fans of U Sports in this country with a game like that. No. It's it's sad when you're on the national stage, the team had three days rest and they have to play the powerhouse Western Mustangs where their fourth string running back at hundred Twenty yards or whatever, like it's like, absolutely. Like, don't madness. get me don't get me wrong. There is no way Acadia would have won that game with a week with a week's rest. But losing by 10, 11 touchdowns. Yeah, I, mean, I, I I don't think I don't think they win that game regardless. But to get beat by seventy eight points, like you just embarrass an entire roster of kids. Yeah, like I get it that they they went to court and they were forced to play that game, but. Like why? It just makes no sense why U Sports wouldn't just. They knew that they were going to have to play it. There's no way they thought that um, a court would rule in the favor of them and say no. St. Mary's is done. Like they're going to make you play that game. So they should have just played it to begin with. But I think I don't think they lose by 78 points with a week's rest. They probably it would have been a two score game, but it would have at least been respectable. But how do you rec- like? After the first play, it's basically like you've played a half of football already because you're so worn out on only three days rest. So I, I found that a little asinine that they had to do that. But, I mean, that's on you, sport That's not on anybody else. So Let's talk about the East Final. The Toronto Argonauts get by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 25-21. The turnover train started in the first quarter. D-line that was decimated by injury finally back together for the Argos. Glenn zips it over the top. The Argo pressure certainly affecting Kevin Glenn here. The Riders started off this game fast. They started it off on fire. The defense uh, started off on fire. They forced a turnover on downs on the opening drive, but the Argos defense, they answered right back, didn't they? Yeah, and real quick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We talked about it last week with their front seven and how good they were um and sure enough two pressures on that rider opening drive and they were able to hold them to a field goal so like, i don't know how you i don't know how you stop though i don't know how you stop that front seven from toronto calgary's gonna have their hands full next week but those guys pinned their ears back and got after kevin glenn it was scary yeah, it exactly the opposite of what we saw from Ottawa, and I think a lot of people expected that. Corey Chamberlain has put together a solid defense. Uh, credit to Jim Pop for bringing all these guys in. Credit to uh, the folks in Montreal for cutting some of these guys loose to go to tr- Toronto. So, uh, <laughs> does, does, they, if, if Toronto wins the Grey Cup, does Cavis Reed get GM of the year? He might. You <laughs> should get a Argos Grey Cup ring. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, Kevin Glenn goes 6 of 13 for 87 yards, but he threw three interceptions. Brandon Bridge comes in 11 of 21 for 141 yards and a touchdown. Of course, the touchdown and the yards all come in the fourth quarter. 
What do the Riders do next season? I It's easy to look at the fourth quarter and say, hey, that quarterback situation looked great in 2018. But look at the three quarters before that. I'm not so sure. Uh, the only way Brandon Bridge is going to get better is if he gets playing time. Like, practice doesn't like, – you can only do so much in practice um, until you're playing at full speed and reading defenses um, – this is the only way you're going to get better. Uh, I'd like to see him back. Uh, he is able to keep plays alive, and he's much more mobile than Kevin Glenn. Um, Kevin Glenn gets a little bit of pressure, like he did today. Not, and it wasn't a little bit. He he was pressured all day long while he was in there. Um, he he makes mistakes and egregious ones. Um, Bridge sure he made some boneheaded plays. Um, behind center didn't turn the ball over granted but uh and unless he gets regular reps he's not gonna get any better so i mean i don't know what chris jones is gonna do i'd like to see bridge back but i mean there's trades and free agency so uh it i don't see kevin glenn coming back and i want brandon bridge to come back but i don't know what's gonna happen bridge is (laughs) <laughs> there was a moment in the game when he had time to write a poem, mm-hmm. and he threw the ball 10 yards over the guy's head. Uh, and yeah. th- there is no interception you know, on that play, but Kevin Glenn does the same thing. There's a guy there ready to catch it. So the- some of them was bad breaks a little bit for Kevin Glenn. We saw the details with Derek Taylor and Brandon Bridge. Bridge has been pretty lucky when it comes to not throwing interceptions, whether the defender drops it or they're just in the wrong place at the right time or whatever, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the other side of things, Ricky Ray. Everybody knew if the Riders cannot get to Ricky Ray, they had their first sack, I think, in the second half, then it's going to be really hard to have success here. 28 of 39 for 266 yards. If you like math, that's just under 72% completion. That is good. He did throw the pick, but he also had the touchdown, and he did what he does in the fourth quarter. You give him time to march down the field, and he will do it for you. And that touchdown pass he made, I think it was to Posey. You cannot oh. defend that. Like, uh, the only way that, that gets stopped is if Rogers turns his head two seconds earlier. Yeah, But he has no idea the ball's coming yet. Like That throw is ridiculous. That's Ricky and, Ray. There's there's two or three guys in the league that'll do that that can do that and one of them happened to be behind center for Toronto today. There was uh, <laughs> Chris Jones. He punts out of his own end zone, and you're thinking, "Wow, that's some faith in the defense." Well, mm-hmm. they force a fumble, get the ball back, and then Kevin throws the pick six on that drive. So the Ryder offense, they couldn't keep up any of the momentum that the defense was providing. They were doing their job. Yeah, um, and they 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 abandoned the run early, um, so really hard to get anything going. Um, at that point, the defense is going to spin their ear back to go after your quarterback, um, much like they did on that pick six. Um, I can't remember who it was for Toronto, but they got right in the face of Kevin Glenn when he threw that ball. And if you don't give that, if you don't give Kevin Glenn time, he's going to make mistakes just like that one. 
Now, let's talk about the running game because... Or lack thereof. For the riders, anyway. All together here, uh, I think part of the concern I had for the rider defense is that they have struggled against the run at times this season, but they stepped up. James Wilder Jr. had 52 yards and 14 carries. He did have eight catches for 52 yards, but by James Wilder Jr. standards over the past you know, two months, that's a very quiet day for, I think, the rookie of the year. Yeah, they. I think coming into it, they decide, I think they made a conscious decision that they to win this game, they had to stop uh, James Wilder Jr., and the defense did that. Um, granted, that meant that Ricky Ray would have a little little bit easier of a time uh, finding players to throw to, but they, they committed to stopping the run today, and they did a pretty good job of it. Now, I guess let's get into the officiating a little bit. Let's be clear here. I am not blaming the officials because three interceptions from Kevin Glenn... I don't care who you are. I don't care who's refing. Uh, the ref wasn't catching the ball, and he wasn't throwing the interceptions either. So you, you can't... And an old line that allowed 11 quarterback pressures and four sacks. Yeah, they, they were they were struggling against that. And, and Unless the, the league, hey, you want to believe the fix? Uh, did they tell Derek Dennis and a company to have a bad game? I don't think they did. But Chris Jones ends up challenging a ah, roughing the passer on that same pick six to Terrence Plummer, and the play was upheld. We had this out in text message. I think your point more was don't throw the challenge that early in the game. I don't think it ended up uh, mattering later in the game. It could have, but it really didn't. Maybe on that pass interference later on, that I think was a bit of a gray area here. Now, I'm you're going to think I'm wearing the green glasses here. I think I've seen less get called as roughing the passer. Oh, absolutely. Um, letter of the law, that's 15 yards. Yeah, whether you agree with the law or not, letter of the law, that's roughing the passer. I his, have bicep, clipped, his bicep clipped the, the face mask. He, granted, he did change his arm angle as was pointed out on the broadcast to, to make sure that, or to try not to hit him in the head and he clotheslined him below the face mask. I have no problem with that. He did clip the face mask so by letter of law it's a penalty. This penalty has not been called consistently or properly all year and I don't know why Chris Jones thought this would be any different. Yeah, that makes it a 50-50 challenge at that point. You're, you're not going to lose a game in the first quarter. I don't think you need to challenge. Um, you lose your time. You also lose a timeout. I know you said that at the CFL clock rules, when we were texting back and forth, that maybe your timeout isn't as important. Um, but when they had to use their timeout to avoid the time count violation, I mean that's where that extra timeout would have been nice to have. It's nice to have in your back pocket. Um, and I I hate challenging in the first half, especially now with only one challenge. Um, and on a play where you don't know what the call like. Like I said, it hasn't been called properly all year. You ask any Eskimo fan. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, it's not only the riders who have the fix in against them. And trust me, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> um, but I I didn't like the challenge because you don't know what the command center is going to thinking on that. It's not a black and white issue. Although... In the rule book, it is. It hasn't been called like that all year, so I didn't like it. 
Article 4, roughing the passer, paragraph B, any blow above the passer's shoulder is considered roughing the passer. And then D, you can argue this, but attacking the passer who, after releasing the ball, is either standing still or fading backwards and is obviously out of the play and remains out of the play. So, by definition, it is roughing the passer. I have seen guys literally tap the quarterback on mm-hmm. the helmet and get flagged for it where the quarterback is protected but when you get under the face mask and on the chin how is that not roughing the passer isn't that a bit more dangerous if you want to call the ticky tack stuff you would think yeah and i i had absolutely no problem with it not being a call um at, at like this rule i think i don't want to come out and sound like I think guys should be able to hit guys in the head. That's not what I'm saying. Um, this rule needs to be looked at. It needs to be changed. Um, head contact is going to happen. Yep. Um, regardless of the position of the quarterback, um, we saw it last week. Matt Nichols ducked into a hit and got his team a 15-yard penalty or a 15-yard advancement. This, by letter of the law, is a penalty, but you have at some point – you have to look at it and be like, okay, he's not – this is not intentional, which I know is hard. You can't it, – it's, it's too too much of a gray area. Intent not – shouldn't have to be part of it. But when it, when it's on a, on a hit otherwise legal and it, it's maybe just incidental contact with the head, I don't think that should be called. And I'm not saying I want to see guys get concussed and we should be targeting the head, but at some point – if the rule is obviously not working because quarterbacks are getting hit in the head all the time and not getting and there's not calls and they're getting challenged and not overturned and they're not protecting the quarterbacks the way the rule is meant to and they're not doing it properly so why are we having this same problem over and over again we need to change the rule or they need to take a look at it and be like you know what doesn't matter anymore any contact to the head from the by the with the quarterback regardless or not if it's the po- initial point of contact has to be a penalty that's the only way this is going to change. And then you know what? Now you're going to see a bunch of flags go up for roughing the passer. Defense is going to be pissed off because they can't go up for the quarterback like they used to. Now you're going to see offensive numbers explode, and they're going to have to change the rules again to try to bring the game back. So it, we're just opening up a can of worms here. And the way that the Situation Room has handled this this entire year has been a joke. And we saw it again today by letter lots of penalty, not called a penalty. Granted, it didn't cost them the game, but the challenge – I. I didn't like because you don't know what you're going to get anymore. It's just too inconsistent. Yeah, it didn't cost them the game. It'll be interesting to see if that gets addressed in the offseason. I think us fans can all agree, whether it's this call or not, that there has been a lot of inconsistency, when it, especially when it comes to roughing the passer. There was another call. That I think the only one that I really had an issue with was the unnecessary roughness when they could have – done a full-out German suplex, but I thought that the defender laid off a bit. A little bit. Um, He did slam him to the ground. I get it. That was, yeah, I don't think it was necessarily um, how he did it. I think it was in the manner of which he did because he did it pretty, like, the whistle had gone, play was over, and he threw him to the ground pretty hard. Um, So I get that, and just the way he had him held uh, with, like, a belly-to-back suplex pretty much, so... I get that call. It, it sucks, but um, I mean, you, 
you, you do that the wrong way and you throw yeah. him down, you, you can break a guy's neck. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get over dramatic, but let's be honest. That you, I, I know it can happen on any play, but that play has a higher chance of it happening than any other. So, I mean that that one's going to be called in too. Dan Clark, yeah. full on tackling <laughs> the spear, Bear Woods, the gore for, for what? Yeah, <laughs> right. And then Deron Carter got an, got another unnecessary roughness on that. It would have evened out, but Deron Carter gets involved and he gets, and so it ended up being fifteen yards. So. I mean, the refing. The only the only thing I'll say is the refing wasn't what lost the Riders game. Um, and I I hate I I don't think I've ever blamed officiating other than in the Oilers playoffs. Um, the Riders were so undisciplined today. Oh yeah. That the what is a what are the officials supposed to do? Um, a penalty is a penalty, whether or not you think he committed it or not. And I even made the joke that when the Riders got called for offside, well, I, that's a bullshit call. That, that, oh, the fix is in. Because I wanted to just jump on the train with every other Rider fan. But no, the Riders are so undisciplined today that, yeah, losing this game wasn't a big surprise when you look at those stats. And the German suplex was fine. I was in the bar that it was weirdly had a lot of Argo fans wearing red. I, I had never seen them do that before, but... That was totally strange. Uh, so the place well, we can't was... even say it was the seats because they were almost <laughs> sold out. <laughs> I meant in the bar. I mean, oh, holy crap! <laughs> they they were wearing red. I couldn't believe it, and they were cheering for the Argos. The the German suplex. I did not hear the whistle go. That totally uh, is a fair point. If the whistle goes and you slam the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is totally uh, a call there. And yes, credit to the Argo fans. I know the. Uh, Twitter universe was saying, oh, Ryder fans bought 18,000 tickets. Clearly they didn't. No. <laughs> there was a few, and I know they tried to get all cute by showing them on TV, but Argo fans showed up for this one. I think this is a big game for this franchise, not only to show how fun CFL football is, how fun it is to watch at that stadium. So big thumbs up to Argo fans for getting out there, getting loud, and uh, getting their team to the Grey Cup like you said, they called the timeout before the time count violation, but Argo fans clearly had a big factor in that happening. Oh, for sure. Uh, Brandon Bridge was there yelling, screaming, clapping his hands, trying to get the yeah. ball snapped, and you could tell he was, he was mad. And then yep. after the timeout, they go back in the huddle, and he has to hold his hands to his helmet because he can't hear. You're telling me 18,000 Ryder fans are going to make that much noise while their team is on offense? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems a little ridiculous to me. Um, no, but uh, TSN does a lot of work with the cameras and the crowd to show, um, you know, that because let's be honest, Ryder fans do travel and they travel well, whether or not they're transplants in the cities or they make the trip. Um and the TV cameras catch that, and they, they try to play on it, but they were outnumbered hard today. Like, it was on my TV. I could You could tell that it was a Toronto home game for sure. Well, I read something like as of Friday, only about 100 tickets were sold to people with Saskatchewan postal codes. So that is a, that's a telling number. And that end zone was it looked like a great time <laughs> with those Argo <laughs> fans. They brought it. Santa Claus was even rocking. Yeah, and wearing a James Wilder jersey. Yeah. <laughs> Sad is an Argo fan. Yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> Why does Toronto get everything? Yada, yada, yada. That's 
crap. <laughs> the uh, fix is in. <laughs> Deron Carter, the leading receiver in this one, 99 yards on six catches. I uh, hope it's not his last game as a rider. I hope it's not, not his last game in the CFL. Uh, I think he's going to get a shot in the NFL um, in the offseason. We'll see what comes of it if he can if he gets cut in tr- training And he played a little whatever, bit of corner but. today, too. Yeah, he did. Uh, when Javon Johnson went down, that was a big, big moment in the game. I thought Ricky was going to go right after Duran, and he did a few times, and he totally did. Uh, Anthony Coombs leads the way for Toronto, 77 yards uh, on nine catches, and that's the Ricky Ray special. He will take what the defense gives. That's what they gave. Anthony Coombs had a nice game. Brandon Bridge had 43 yards rushing on two carries. So that was big. The one run he had was absolutely incredible, but another couple times maybe he needs to figure out where he's going to scramble, what he's going to do, because there was one. It was about a 25-yard loss. And yeah, he turned around three times yeah. before he finally got hit. So yeah. trying to reverse and that you're not your receivers can only do so much to help you in that uh in that situation. At at some point he's gotta to learn to throw the ball away. Naaman Roosevelt, fourteen targets. He had five catches on seventy one yards, a couple a couple actually tough drops for Naaman too. A number of bad throws as well, f- thrown behind him and things like that. So some of them weren't his fault. Some of them were, but 14 targets. That guy, he's going to be a great receiver in this league for a long, long time. But I do want to mention, we didn't really touch on it, the Riders did abandon the run with Marcus Thigpen. So the Toronto front seven, you know, Victor Butler, you got Cleon Lang, you got Sean Lemon. They did not have to worry about the rush at all. They pinned their ears back, went after the quarterback, forced the pressures, forced the interceptions, and forced big losses a number of times throughout the game. But every time the Riders ran, they had success. Yep. Yep. Sounds about like Chris Jones coach football game. (laughs) I I don't know what else you want me to say. He doesn't call the offense. No, but he creates the game plan. Um, he's the head coach. This is the, this is ultimately who it falls on. Um, you know, they they needed to run the ball, and they knew that coming in, and they abandoned it when it didn't work on two tries. And they're like, oh nope, it's not working. So now you're putting a lot on the shoulders of Kevin Glenn and the defense that's able to get after him, like we said they would last week. If they couldn't protect Kevin Glenn, they were in trouble, and they couldn't protect Kevin Glenn, and they got into a lot of trouble today. We did say Toronto needed to convert their trips to the red zone. They did that. Two touchdowns, two trips to the red zone. So perfect on the day there. But man alive, uh, the end of the game, it had the Ryder fans at Nick's Steakhouse and Pizza on their feet. Christian Jones, 75-yard punt return in the fourth quarter to take that late lead. But yes, too much time on the clock for Ricky Ray. It's not his prime now. We know that. We know this might be his last year in the CFL. I think especially if they beat the Calgary Stampeders, Ricky Ray hangs up the cleats. But what's that now? 42 game-winning drives in his career? That is incredible. This guy, uh, we know he's a Hall of Famer without a doubt, but that's where he has made uh, a living and a great career, those fourth-quarter comebacks. Um, when when Christian Jones was making that return, I was up out of my chair, yelling at the TV. Um, when he was at about the ten yard line, I looked at the clock and immediately changed my tune to get out of bounds. Yeah, we need to chew up more time because, and sure enough, 
Um, granted, it wasn't Ricky Ray that was in for the game when he touched down, but without Ricky Ray, they don't get in that situation. Um, you, you can't leave him that amount of time and expect to win a football game. He, he's going to... More times than not, he's, he's going to make the plays that he needs to to get down the field and put his team in a position to win. He did that again. And like you said, that was number 42 for his career. Like that, that is a ridiculous number. Um, and now going to his fifth grade cup, he's won three. So, and I mean, he's shown in great cups that he can do the same thing that he did today in the fourth quarter. The last one he won five years ago against the Calgary Stampeders. So they know exactly what Ricky mm-hmm. Ray brings to the table. Exactly. And then, Going into that game, it it's it's a one game winner take all. So I mean, you don't know exactly like you can throw numbers out the window, so to speak. But you, if you're Calgary, and much like Saskatchewan today, you leave them time, you're going to get burned. Let's talk about that West final. The Calgary Stampeders down the Edmonton Eskimos, thirty-two twenty-eight, and Roy Finch. They found a way to get him involved on the offense, not only on special teams. Fifteen to first down, right back in the hands of Finch. Look at the acceleration. Cuts it back. Coming into this game, there was a lot of talk and a lot of criticism surrounding Jerome Messam and how, hey, how are the Stampeders going to juggle that roster? Are they going to get Roy Finch on offense? Terry Williams, how are they going to use him uh, in in the game? He wasn't a factor, obviously, in, in this one, but they found a way to get Finch in space, and he made the Eskimos pay on that 50 yard run. Oh, um,. The fact that he was the game's leading rusher was surprising to me when I saw that stat at the end of the day. Um, I know Messam hasn't been the best that we've seen him in the last couple weeks, but I figured today would be the day that they would feed him the rock, and Roy Finch showed that he can carry the rock just as well as anybody in this league today for sure. Well, they gave Messam the ball when it mattered at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't do that in the Grey Cup last year. Sorry, Stamps fans. But they gave it to him when it mattered here, and he had 71 yards on the ground. Finch had 81, but only on four carries. Of course, over half of it coming on that run that we just played. Mike Riley, 23 of 38, 348 yards and a touchdown. He did not throw a pick. He also had six carries and 14 yards. The Stamps were able to you know, keep him under control when he tried on some of those design running plays as well. He did have the rushing TD as well. Bo Levi, 20 of 32 for 228 and a touchdown. But when the game started, it looked like the Edmonton Eskimos were going to Ottawa and Calgary was just going to end the season with four losses and a bye. 14 nothing early in the first quarter. It it looked that way, but I think everybody knew in the back of their mind that this defense was too good to to let Edmonton run away with this game. And they stepped up. Uh, Clay Brooks getting Singleton to basically spy Mike Riley kind of shuts down that aspect of their game. He's not able to, to quite scramble like he's used to, which opens up a lot of plays. Um, and then their offense was able to go to work. Their, their defense got better as the game went on. Um, and, yeah, it they showed why they were – why they had 13 wins. Um, like, yeah, they Edmonton jumped out to a 14 nothing lead, but you just knew that that wasn't going to keep up. There was no way against this defense. 
The Stamps have faced adversity before. They did it in the Grey Cup last year. They came all the way back. And you know what? I, I'm hesitant to call a 14 nothing first quarter lead as blowing a lead. Uh, this is the Canadian Football League. If there's 50 seconds left and you do it like Winnipeg did the comeback earlier in the season, yeah, that is blowing the lead. That's what the Alouettes did. But 14 nothing in the CFL, that's just a formality. That's really nothing at all. Next thing you know... It is 30 to 15 for the Stampeders. I know runs is kind of a basketball thing, but when you go on a 30 to 1 run, that's not good. <laughs> no, no, that, that makes you second guess what you're doing on defense for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, it just seemed like, well, look at Bo Levi had every receiver. He had his top five guys in the game today, um, and it showed. They. They made plays that they hadn't made um, later in the year when they had guys banged up. Um, you know, and we we talked about it last week. We didn't know which Calgary Stampeders team we were going to see. Uh, rest versus rust. Uh, turns out the rest was good. They got everybody back and healthy, and they played a lights-out game after that first quarter. But uh, next man up, again, I know Joe Burnett got healthy. Tunde Adelike gets hurt early in the game. Joe Burnett. Former Edmonton Eskimo steps in and does a, a fabulous job in this one. So next man up again for the Calgary Stampeders. The Stamps were able to keep Brandon Zilstra in check here. He had a big catch. I think it was third and ten in the fourth quarter that he made. But four catches, 65 yards. Zilstra torched the Stampeders. Uh, he had over 100 yards three times against the Stamps this season. Yeah, and they knew that they had to shut him down on defense. Um, you know, like I said, the single, <clears throat> sorry, Alex Singleton basically spying Mike Riley for a lot of this game. Um, you know, it takes away that run option where Zilstra is really good when his quarterback starts to scramble. Um, you can get lost in coverage really easy. He's he's sneaky fast and runs really good routes. Um, and they knew that they had to do. They had to find a way to keep Mike Riley in the pocket. And kind of try to cut down on his time. And if he does start to scramble, you got you got to find a way to shut down his receivers. And they zoned in on Brandon Zilstra and shut him down today. I'll take 65 yards from Zilstra if I'm the Calgary defense. Vidal Hazelton was the game's leading receiver by one yard. He had seven catches, 113 yards, including a big one late in the game as well. Darrell Walker had the 69-yard touchdown in the first quarter. 112 yards to go along with that. Uh, that 69-yard TD gave Edmonton the 14-0 lead early in the first quarter. Uh, Darius Bowman had a couple bad drops in this one. It, I guess deja vu a little bit for the Edmonton Eskimos. He has had drop issues in the past. Even when he's putting up 1,600 yards, Bowman was still dropping uh, footballs here uh, a bit here and there. And he had a couple, I think, costly ones in this one. Yeah, it comes down to ball security and making plays. And he only got targeted six times, only made two catches. Um, that It's tough to trust a guy to, to throw him the ball when he's he's going through another one of these stretches where he, he gets the dropsies. And he'll go through, he's streaky. He'll go through stretches where he doesn't drop a pass. Oh, yeah. He um, makes the toughest catches imaginable. And yeah. some of the easy ones off the chest plate and, and out. And now, now we're getting, now we're back in what I would call a slump for Adarius Bowman. Um, you know, he's, 
He's he's not catch he's not trying to catch the football. He's hoping the football comes to him, and he's like today catching it, trying to catch it with his body. And you you got to try to catch it with your hands. It's the way you're going to make plays. You got to secure the football and make those plays. And they didn't get it done today. We did say last week C.J. Gable was probably the most important player in the Edmonton Eskimos, and the Stamps were able to limit him. Twelve carries, fifty-four yards in this one. I do imagine the Eskimos did have to use him for his blocking prowess in this one. I know mm-hmm. the Stampeders had 12 quarterback pressures. Edmonton, two. <laughs> Th- that is the story of the Labor Day and the Labor Day rematches as well. When the Stampeder mm-hmm. defense was able to get to Mike Riley and through the offensive line, it- it's very tough to win when your quarterback is on the run running for his life a lot of times and 12 pressures that is not a good stat for uh, the Eskimos uh, offensive line I know it's an incredible front seven an incredible defensive line that the Stampeders have and they showed up in this one yeah uh, against arguably maybe the best O-line in the league they only allowed 29 sacks in Edmonton this year they did um, and maybe that's on Riley too maybe that's on Riley as well being able to get the ball away and and being able to escape a yep. lot of uh, escape stacks, and you know, even if it's just throwing the ball away or being able to find somebody. But when you have the league's best defense going up against the league's best offense, I- I'm going to take the defense almost every time. The defense wins championships. It's, I know it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason because it's true. Um, if if you're gonna if you can stop a team from scoring points, it's going to be way easier to win the game than trying to get into a shootout and. I know I said Calgary was able to shut down Zilstra and they were able to, to spy Mike Riley and keep him somewhat contained. They only allowed 54 yards from C.J. Gable. Like, this defense was able to shut down almost every aspect of the Eskimos' offense today, and it's what won them the football game. Absolutely, and the wind was a thing. I don't know if you heard it in the clip that I played, but the video you can see the wind is just howling and it is going mm-hmm. in different directions in the stands i actually didn't feel there was that much wind on me but you look on the field two two flags that are you know 6 feet apart are blowing in different directions it was just wild uh, on the field for field conditions here the worst part here for Edmonton Eskimos fans, they lose the game by four. Sean White misses two kicks. And when the Eskimos were in the middle of that six-game losing streak, there were some very costly misses from Hugh O'Neill. They even had Chris Milo in for a game. They had Swayze Waters in there. Sean White is back. Missed one from 30. Missed one from 42. That was the difference in this one. I know it was windy, but they looked like makeable kicks for the normally money Sean White. Well, I, I know you were at the game, so you don't have the benefit of seeing the angle that we had on TV. Yeah, um, and I was like right on the goal line, so I didn't yeah. have that. I admit um, that. The first kick, I believe, that he missed, or it might have been one of the kicks he missed, it was going dead center. It. I thought he had made it, and it took a hard left turn. Like, to, to even make the kicks that he, he he kicked two field goals today. Or no, he did not. Yes, he did. He was two for four. Um, even the kicks he made 
like in those conditions, like you said, the two flags that are six feet apart are blown in different directions. You get that ball up in the air, you, you don't know what the wind's doing up there. It could change in a heartbeat. Um, I, he's he's arguably one of the best kickers in the league. Um, the conditions were not favorable, um, you know, and it's hard to make adjustments when you you don't know what adjustment to make. Um, but I wasn't expecting him to miss two, especially the one from thirty. Um, but like, yeah, it, it they both looked like they were going dead center of the uprights, and this took a turn at the end. The Paredes, he actually uh, attempted a field goal and he missed it as well. So both kickers did struggle in this one. The one of the kicks, uh, the last one, I think White kicked, or no, not the last one. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, yeah, uh, the second last one. It did look like it hit a wall of wind, but it did have enough power to get through. One of the kicks, it just looked like it had he hit the ball wrong, and it just had like a the wrong spin that you want on it. But yeah, obviously the wind helped it as well in this one. The Calgary secondary shows why, hey, maybe they should have had an all-star, especially Tommy Campbell. Uh, six pass knockdowns. So mm-hmm. they were able to shut down that uh, Eskimo receiving core, which is eh, damn near the top of the league. <laughs> damn near or at the top? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Mike Riley threw for over 6,000 yards this season. Am I wrong? No, he didn't get there. He didn't get there. He was on pace. But most in Eskimo franchise history. Yeah, so... I mean, you got a pretty big task coming in to the game if you're Devon Claybrooks having to figure out a way to shut these guys down. And granted, he allowed two receivers over 100 yards, but Zilstra was the next guy up with 65. Um, and half of those came on one reception. So they figured out a way to to shut these guys down as best they could. And like I said, defense wins championships, and it's a cliche because it's true. They were able to shut, them, shut this down. Six pass knockdowns? I don't remember last time I saw that many. Yeah, that's a great game from them. Yeah, and like you said, they should have had they should have had at least Tommy Campbell being an all-star. I don't I I get it picks are sexy, but if if I got a guy who hasn't had a touchdown scored against him all year, there's a reason for that. It's cuz he's <laughs> damn good. Yeah, exactly. Now talking about what Eskimo fans will be talking about until June late in the fourth quarter. The Eskimos, they're putting it together. They're starting to move the ball here. They actually converted two third downs. They had the third and ten on the very same drive here that they converted. And then they're down to about the Calgary 20. Third and four. What did we have here? Right around two minutes left. And they go to kick the field goal. <laughs> I, it does I get, show I, faith in your defense to force a two and out. I know that Messam didn't have the craziest numbers in this one, and he's been criticized a lot lately. The Eskimos knew that they were giving it to Messam, and he finished the game. They, they ran it down to 24 seconds, and then I know Edmonton ended up fumbling the, the punt there and, you know, ending the game at the end of the game. But third and four, and you take the points at that point in the game, when you know that you need to get the you need to get the ball back and not only kick a field goal, but score a touchdown. Yep. I don't know what you want me to say here. I, 
Does anybody like, agree to... with this call? <sighs> I I kind of do. I I'm not fully invested in it. Um, I I totally understand the reasoning and the rationale behind it. Um, you, you take the points, you go down by five. Um, you've now taken overtime out of the equation. Um, I yep. don't know if that would have been part of the decision or not. You kick the field goal. You know you have to kick. Calgary can't just take the ball. Um, kick it deep. You get a pin. You get a stop. You get the ball back, and you score another touchdown, you win the game. That's way too many variables that you're leaving in the hands of the other team, in essence, to make that call. I get it. Um, and I, I know I'm a proponent of taking the points, especially on the road. Um, you just converted two third downs on that drive. I, I, I understand Moss maybe like having faith in your defense. That's great. You, you know they're giving the ball to Messam, and you know what he can do, and he did it. So I don't, I don't know why, um, why the decision was made other than the reasons that he gave. Uh, if if they don't make it, they're in the exact same position they are with making the field goal. You're almost so, in a better defensive position. They had better it, field position after the kickoff. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you have a team pinned deep, and if you only get nine yards, they're pinned even deeper. Um, but I, I get it. He's trying to... You look at it, he doesn't want to turn the ball over on downs and get nothing. So, I mean, you kick the field goal and you you, you got to get the ball. He knows he's got to get the ball back. Um, and granted, they, they they would have had a chance. I mean, they would have had 20-some seconds. Um, yeah, they might have had a little three less. plays. They would have had time for two plays. Um, and, and you don't know what can happen in those two plays. And it could be more with penalties and such. But it's so many variables. Just the more and more I look at it and the more and more I think about it, and I understand you. You don't want to come away with nothing. You, you want any. You just, your team still has a chance to win. Um, granted, you still got to get a, a touchdown in that situation, down by five. Um, but you only need four yards. You don't need to take a shot at the end zone. You need to find a way to get four yards, or, well, preferably five. And you know now you got a whole new set of downs, and you're going to kill more time. And I honestly thought with the amount of time left that Calgary would be able to break something and all of a sudden they're going to score a touchdown and really and yeah. effectively end the game. <laughs> they did, yeah. luckily, and the defense forced them to get the ball back, but there just wasn't enough time, and then you have the fumble and the game was effectively over at that point. Yeah, th- that call is a bit of a head-scratcher for me. The offense had all the momentum. I mean, the last drive they, they, they'd scored the touchdown and they'd converted the third downs. So I, I, I think the Eskimo offense is able to get four yards. Maybe the defense should be able to stop Calgary from getting 10. But I think that the Eskimo offense had momentum and they would have been able to convert that third and four. If they miss it, is there any Eskimo fans sitting there saying, gee, I wish they would have kicked the field goal there? No. <laughs> My, I also have another question. If Jason Moss is the starting quarterback for this team, and he's told that we're kicking the field goal. Do you think he handles it as well as Mike Riley does? I was going to ask you, how did he handle it at times in his career? And I think he has gotten a lot better at this. During their Grey Cup year, sometimes he would just berate 
the offensive line and shout at them and basically just lecture at them. I have not seen that from Mike Riley for quite some time, actually. And obviously, I was on the Calgary sideline for this one. Did he just take it as a pro? It seemed that way. And then, two in the post-game interview that he did, um, it he basically comes out and says, coaches coach, players play. Um, right. I have a feeling, though, if Jason Moss was a quarterback, yeah. like, if Jason Moss was in that situation, would he have wanted to kick the field goal if he was a quarterback? No, he would have wanted to stay in. Uh, I think he overcoached. He over he overthought it and made that call. Um, but and Mike Riley handled it like a professional. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. Um, and, I mean, I know it's the play that, that ended the game effectively with that field goal and everything, but... It does, a football game doesn't come down to one play. Um, I have a hard I have a hard time believing that because there's so many other plays that needed to be executed earlier in the game to not put your team in this situation. And the other, and not necessarily it wasn't even necessarily Calgary's defense that executed the plays better. I mean, guys were straight up dropping balls and they were thrown behind. And Mike Riley skipped a few. You, you complete those pl- you complete those passes and make those plays. You're not looking at a at a seven point deficit. You're looking at maybe a tie, or you're up by one if Sean White makes those field goals. I granted the conditions don't lend itself to success in that situation, but if you make a couple more plays, you can get closer. Um, so it, it's it's an accumulation of poor execution on the part of the Eskimos offense in some situations. Granted, that last drive they were lights out. But it it shouldn't have came down to to a final drive, in my opinion. Yeah, in football games, it's always easy to look at the last one or the last mistake that forced your team to lose. But as I said earlier, Calgary went on the thirty to one run, and that was essentially the you get one you game. get one stop during that run, and it's yeah. a completely different ball game. It so, is, and I. I get that you win as a team, lose as a team. Um, I understand that, and people are going to look at that one play and be like, well, if they would have done this different, if they, if they would have got the first – well, we don't know because that didn't happen, um, and we'll, we'll never know. Um, but there were so many other plays they could have executed better and not put themselves in that situation. So people are going to blame Jason Moss for it, and I get it. But, I mean, the defense let you down at the midpoint of that game when they allowed 30 straight points. So, I mean, you got to look at the bigger picture at some point. It'll be interesting to see what the Eskimos do in the offseason. I don't know how many changes the team really needs to make. Hey, maybe there does need to be changes on the offensive line. I know a lot of people point at the right tackle. Uh, Kelly, they they have been giving up a lot of pressures on Mike Riley. They might want to get younger at running back with C.J. Gable. The defensive line at times looks good, very good. On paper, with John Chick, Almondo Sewell, you know Bowers in there, Boateng on there. He's young, so you know he's got lots of time. But Odell Willis as well. So maybe they need change there. I think the secondary really came into its own as the season went on, and the receiving core is the receiving core. I am curious about Adarius Bowman's future as an Eskimo, and whether Brandon Zilstra maybe takes a shot in the NFL as well. But they get ready to host that Grey Cup next year. Uh, I don't know how many changes Edmonton needs. Maybe they do make a few changes here and there, some key ones, but I think they're right there. They, they could have won this game, and uh, they're, they're a few plays away from the Grey Cup. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I don't know 
necessarily moving people out. Um, I mean, the way this team played this year, um, it was kind of a crapshoot of a year. I mean, you win your first six. Yeah, seven. Or win your first seven, lose your next six, win your last five. Uh, it's really hard to – like. I know your record says you are what you are at 12 and six, um, but there's a tale of three completely different football teams this year. Um, you know, early when they were on that seven-game winning streak, there was games that they shouldn't have won. No, and, for sure. And when they were on their six-game losing streak, there was definitely games they shouldn't have lost. Um, so health has a lot to do with it. Um, like you said, with that D-line, it is a little older. Um, and, you know, younger guys are cheaper. So that that could be that could be the be-all, end-all of every, everything if their cap implications come in. Um, I, I don't know if they really want to get rid of anybody unless they absolutely have to. I could see them making an addition because you're going to want to play in a great cup that, you, that your city is hosting. So I kind of attribute it to like a team making a deadline acquisition in hockey, you know, making that big push. I think they're going to try. I think they try to do that before they try to move out anybody else. Um, I, the only expendable position I see is wide receiver right now with Zilstra, Darrell Walker, and Adarius Bowman. Um, but like you said, there's op- if there's an opportunity for somebody to go to the NFL, you don't want to hold them back from that. So, I mean, we got to wait and see what's going to happen. And uh, you have the the best O-line in the league, basically, only allowed 29 sacks. I don't know if you really want to make a lot of changes there. Uh, it's nice to keep a group together. They, they work so well together. I know they gave up a lot of pressures from that right side once they got rid of Tony Washington, but um, that's that's something that's going to be looked at for sure. But I, I don't know how many subtractions you want to make from this team. Like you won 12 games and you were a play away from making it to the great cup. So, I mean, you got a pretty good team right now and I think they're better than 12 and six um, if they stay healthy. So it, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope that they don't blow it up, but, or not necessarily, I don't think they'll blow it up, but I just hope that if they do have to get rid of people that they make the right decisions on that front. It is incredible what the Eskimos were able to achieve this year, considering all the injuries they went through that bye week did really Benefit the Stampeders, I think, helping them get healthy. I mean, Kamar Jordan is back 100%, 111 yards. Markway McDaniel back, does what he does, gets a touchdown for the Stampeders as they get ready to take on Ricky Ray and the Toronto Argonauts. While I think that Mike Riley is the MOP, Ricky Ray probably the MVP to his team. I do wonder where the Eskimos go at quarterback. What happens with James Franklin in the offseason? A lot of questions. A lot of fun to be had. Grey Cup week. Brazilian tie. We will be back to preview the Stampeders and the Argonauts later in the week. It's going to be a fun game, my friend. Oh, it's going to be a blast, I'm sure. Yeah, it totally is. And Ottawa is going to be a good time as well. So if you are going to Ottawa... I will see you, Brazilian Thai. I'm sorry you got to work, don't you? There is an outside chance oh! that I could pay <laughs> two grand for a last-minute flight on Friday afternoon or Saturday morning. The flights are two grand? It's like 1700 bucks for me to get there and back. It's all last-minute oh. bookings, man. There's not even, I, it's not even first class, man. It's not even first class. No, that sixteen hundred bucks return. So, is like, it don't direct? Get me wrong. Yeah. Oh, I'm not. Yeah, it's only like a four hour flight that way. I'm not. I'm not plane hopping through airports. 
You know how much I love airports. Um, if I can get out of here by Thursday afternoon, I'll be on a flight Friday night or Saturday morning. All right, brother. I hope I see you in Ottawa. We will talk to you later in the week, Wednesday night slash Thursday morning, with our preview for the Grey Cup. Listen, subscribe, review. You don't even have to listen. Just download uh, on iTunes. <laughs> leave a rating, leave a review, like and follow Facebook and Twitter at 2 and Out CFL. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.